This is sounds from Ukraine now. Звук из України зараз. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to Sounds from Ukraine Now. Uh, my name is Clemens Poole, and uh, I'm co-hosting with Chola Tunstall-Behrens. And today we're talking to Pavlo Yurov, who is a theater director uh, based in Kiev, um, who since the uh, start of the war a few months ago has been working as a fixer with different journalists. Um, and Pasha has a a lot of really interesting experience related to uh, both his creative output and uh, his experience with the war, both starting in 2014 and now in the present. So I think um, it'll be really great to hear more about the experience uh, currently and also his recent work. That was a track from uh, a play that he put together in, uh, I think it was, was it October last year? Yeah, 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 October. Called Anthrazit, that was a sort of like multimedia avant-garde play about miners in Donbass and time travel and all kinds of uh, crazy shit. But yeah, so Pasha, <laughs> okay. Pasha welcome. Uh, hello, yes, uh, thanks for uh, inviting me and uh, uh, really happy to talk to you about all of that. Um, I guess I wanted to ask first, because I know you for some time as uh, someone involved in the creative community in Kiev and as a, a theater director, um, but as with a lot of people that we've talked to uh, and who we hope to talk to, everyone's activities changed significantly in the last months. And you kind of uniquely among the friends I have in Kiev have really activated your connection to uh, uh, Donbass in a way, I think, or at least activated your connection to this uh, media sphere um, and started to work with these uh, journalists. And so I'm wondering, like, how are you processing your typical creative 
drive uh, in this time when that's kind of on hold and you're uh, doing a really different kind of work? Or maybe it's a similar kind of work. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the most prepared, of course, for this uh, fix and producing kind of um, operations activities are the uh, people who work in the film industry because it's uh, in a way similar that you have to organize the trip, you have to uh, make contacts, you have to arrange uh, the meetings with people or some kind of um, involvement with a certain uh, process, whether it's a humanitarian aid delivery or evacuation or uh, um, different kinds of activities. And uh, yeah, so um, with, the, with the film, it uh, works uh, mainly the same. With the theater, it's a bit different because in theater, you're um, in a way uh, stuck in one place or in several places if you're doing some site-specific or um, audio tour kind of performance. But uh, yeah, so, uh, but in terms of uh, arranging and agreeing and uh, making calls and uh, talking people through and uh, convincing people to meet and to uh, share some kind of information or some kind of uh, <clears throat> experience, it's, uh, it's pretty similar. Also, uh, doing interviews is very related to the documentary theater, to the verbatim theater. And this, is, this has been focus of my practice for the last uh, five years, starting 2016. Uh, and uh, most of the performances I did were uh, basically, not even based, but basically operating with the real life uh, stories and uh, real life experiences. Uh, so it was, uh, and uh, for me specifically, it was, um, I, I did not, I mean, since, the, since 24th of uh, February, I did, not, uh, I did not have any idea about how I could uh, participate in uh, these events creatively because it was um, very tense and very uh, urgent uh, situation. So, um, I was uh, thinking more about how to contribute to the uh, resistance in a different way and uh, finding this uh, fixing producing kind of uh, job was very rewarding for me because it uh, feels that you're doing an important thing and uh, you're sharing the information from here from uh, how it's uh, happening <clears throat> in actual life and uh, uh, which is important, I believe, and uh, you're also um, you're also getting access to uh, different places and different people, and uh, you can experience um, by yourself uh, what's the situation like. Because in the beginning, for me, uh, a part of the drive to participate was uh, related to kind of internal anxiety, which I felt without uh, having um, specific and uh, honest and uh, direct information about what's happening because on the media, you of course can get something, but uh, it's, very it's very different still from when you are in the place, when you are experiencing um, what's happening. And uh, yeah, so that, that what was moving me towards this uh, toward this uh, occupation and uh, this uh, activity. Uh, 
Can I ask, yeah, um, for those who aren't yeah. so familiar, I, I didn't know the word fixer before, but um, kind of what the role entails or what you do. Yeah, I, didn't, I, I did not know that. I mean, I knew that I heard about it before and I was pretty uh, concerned and uh, in a way scared if I would be able to do that. And uh, But uh, fortunately, I've had this gradual experience. The fixer is the person, is the local person for the foreign media who is... Uh, uh, whose uh, several tasks include uh, contacting uh, people in the area, whether it's be official or volunteers or uh, just local residents or army or anybody who, who, is, who's, who might be interested for the media because the media also receives like an, an assignment from their headquarters in wherever they based uh, New York, uh, Paris, uh, Berlin, London, or Warsaw, and um, then they try to operate on the ground and pull out people and the situations which with which they can work, whether it's radio format or a TV format or a blog or and uh, and the fixer is organized in this kind of uh, meetings and uh, these kind of opportunities. Also, I mean, it's very various. There are like more. Um, I would say uh, uh, more active fixers who are also providing or trying to look up for the uh, stories uh, for, for, for the media. I think I would say that it's like more experienced fixers because you already know what kind of format the media is working in and which kind of uh, stories might be uh, interesting for them because they also have their own kind of agenda and their own kind of uh, schedule and experience. Uh, with this uh, situation so and then the second task is to translate basically when you communicate with the people here on the ground you do the live translation you do the written translation uh, and stuff like that and then uh, mm, yeah this is like the, ba the, the, the basic two tasks it, Pasha when I saw you um, I think what a week before the full-scale invasion happened and, and you were already doing some of this work leading up to the invasion when all this tension yeah. was building um yeah. and how did you it was already difficult to work creatively just as the anticipation of the war was building through the the fall and winter but for me it's um it's been difficult to work creatively, uh, honestly, for the last eight years, basically, since uh, 2014. The experience I had then when I was taken hostage uh, in Slovyansk at that moment, uh, captured by the uh, Russian Russians and pro-Russian separatists. And uh, since that time, it was very difficult for me to focus on the arts itself because it was... Um, I felt it was important to talk about the events uh, of the war. But again, there was this kind of, starting in 2015, there was kind of this, um, I don't know how to describe, like um, the, this, the this switch to this, uh, like a slow, um, <clears throat> slow development of uh, the peace negotiations. And um, at a certain point, a lot of people in Kiev and elsewhere in Ukraine, besides Donbass, were kind of not very interested. And again, it was 
difficult to talk about this because this is uh, something that did not finish. There was now there was no um, certain outcome, and it's clear that the people the, the, this is not the the most inspiring subject, uh, the easiest subject, the like super entertaining subject to uh, put people uh, in, and uh, it was very tricky how to how to deal with it because i mean i understand from my side it's no fun you know just to again talk about how difficult life for the people is how the soldiers are struggling during, uh, along the front line or something like that and uh, all kinds of um, separatist activities in the occupied territories and uh, yeah so uh, so uh, I, I mean, since the, since 24th of February, I've had kind of like um, two ideas, two creative ideas. And uh, at the moment, I'm not really <laughs> developing them. But uh, at some points during the work with media, during meeting people, uh, I just kind of noticed some, uh, some, like some performative actions that people do which could be uh, relevant to the performance thing and uh, some kind of like mise-en-scenes or some kind of shots uh, that you can see like graphic and uh, cinematographic and uh, or uh, theatrical. And uh, this is just like this kind of observations, not really because like story wise also it's um it's very intense and uh, uh still and uh i mean for me it seems like the most important thing now is to deal with the situation uh yeah and i mean i know that there are people who do theater who do readings who do uh, performances and in ukraine in central ukraine in western ukraine uh, but I cannot imagine myself doing that. I want to come back to the work you're doing at the present, but I think it would be interesting to hear a little more from Antrasit and talk about how, because it's become clear to me, maybe clearer than it was previously, that this war is has been happening for eight years. And so your, uh, your creative uh, expression during this eight-year period before the uh, full-scale invasion started um, is also something that happened with this stuff in the background. So, is there a track that you want to uh, that you want us to play, and we can we could play it and then talk more about this? Uh, let's see. Yeah, yeah. Let's do the general theme. Yeah, let's do this Vuhila. Uh, which is uh, which is uh, there is only one version, right? Not edited. Perfect. Yeah, we can. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
Робота на роки вперед. Вугілля з тобою я чистий. Вугілля з тобою я вище. Вугілля престиж і пошана. Робота майбутньому є. Все просто, як на долоні. Живу у природи в полоні. Свобода, братерство і рівність Безкрайні є степ і судьба Шахтар, обережно, конвейер Шахтар, не мали у забої Шахтар, про товариша згадуй Шахтар, перевір інструмент Буділля завжди під землею Бездомішок рию, рию тихенько радію. Вугілля настане на всіх. Can you uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's what's going on there? I guess it probably takes a lot to explain the entire uh, the entire I will, play, let, it, but, I will yeah. I will tell the the play. It will take just one hour and uh, forty yeah. minutes. It's not gonna take long. So, but uh, no, I mean um, uh, you can clearly see here that uh, this uh, track is not edited with all those um, sound bits of the lines of the guys people saying on the background um the, the this is the the Antracid is the the name of uh, my hometown which is uh, which has been occupied since uh, 2014 and um, it's also the uh, name of the type of the coal uh, like a very specific coal which is uh, has some kind of like good uh, burning qualities uh, heat producing and stuff and um yeah and uh but the the subject of the um, play is actually the mining protests against the authorities under the soviet uh, rule and in the 90s uh, i was uh, doing the research starting um, 2016 i was thinking for a long time to uh, do something about the coal mining industry. My parents worked at the mine and some of my uh, relatives, also grandparents. And um, I've had a very like um, impressive um, image of the uh, industry itself as being like very tough, very important, very hardworking, uh, risky. And uh, there has been uh, also created a like a big image of that uh, during the Soviet era, during the industrialization in the 30s, but also later in the 60s, 70s, when it was like, I think, the peak of the industry in uh, in the USSR. And um, But there was never uh, shown, of course, on the Soviet uh, propaganda media, uh, there, there has never been any notion about difficulties and issues uh, the workers had regarding this uh, job 
And for me, it was important to share the stories of the civil resistance, of the protest, which was in a way suppressed or uh, bribed by the authorities. And uh, at some point I've read a historical book by um, Kiroaki Kuramiya, The Freedom and Terror in Donbass, where he specifically is focusing on, on the violence in the region. I've learned that these protests were happening all the time, that starting the uh, late 19th century until the 1990s, the workers were constantly uh, dissatisfied with how the owners of the mines and industries treated them, how they were paid, what conditions they were uh, working and living in in, in this region. Uh, yeah, and my, my kind of goal was to... Um, to bring it to the audience and to uh, make it kind of like a part of the common discourse and understanding of the region and of the industry. When you um, were working on this, like this idea of bringing this to this common understanding, is this also is something of like a stereotype about uh, a Donbass, right? This like coal mining. And I think Kuramiya's book also kind of does this, you know, this sort of like violent uh, um, coal mining society. But I feel like with your work, this is kind of expanded. Were you actively trying to push back on this stereotype? I was, I mean, there, there is uh, this, uh, I would uh, describe these relations in a way that um, I uh, kind of aesthetically what was done regarding the region in the Soviet times, it was very interesting and impressive, right? Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the posters, the narratives, the uh, imagery, uh, architecture, but, uh, but in the essence, it was mostly a lie. <laughs> and uh, for me, it was important to kind of uh, work against this stereotype of um, how would people in the rest of Ukraine uh, think about uh, this region and what they would think about this region. Uh, so for me, that's why I was focusing on these stories of uh, protest and uh, resistance. Mm, but uh, also the way I kind of um, uh, presented it, uh, I would say was um, kind of unambiguous in terms of uh, in terms of this I mean in terms of this uh, heroization of, of the miners but now not the miners who are just uh, uh, working to get uh, over planned amount of coal but working to get uh, their working rights and uh, uh, working to get the proper treatment from the authorities, right? Fighting for that. So, um, yeah, something like that. I see, um, Pasha, like a connection between this, uh, and I'm not going to say it right, but anthracist. Um, anthracist, and, yeah. Anthracist. Yeah. And your role now as a fixer is like a, a kind of way of revealing truth. Like you're, you're not a reporter, but you're, right now you're working with reporters and journalists and with this... Um, and to assist that you produce, like you are revealing truth of the real happenings and lives of these miners and these workers. Have you ever kind of thought of your 
self in that way of like being a revealer of truth yeah i mean i i see that in that way and this is like very not good not very good for the arts because in the arts you kind of um actually distort the truth you uh, or not distort but you uh, manipulate mm. with it and you are arranging things in, in this but also in documentary and you're also kind of uh, uh, doing some uh, editing right mm-hmm. and it just it, it just matters whether how how far you can you are distancing from the core of what you're trying to say or what is the situation about so yeah, this is the real truth, but uh, you know, in, in arts you have to have some kind of a, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you have you have artistic license, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To operate with that truth and uh, yeah. But isn't that kind of in pursuit of a, a different truth that is not necessarily a factual, like check the history books kind of truth, but a a, a truth about the human experience? I, I feel like. Yeah, about it's emotions. Not, yeah, it's not totally fair to say that the that art is about distorting truth. I feel like the art that I like the most is um, art that clarifies things. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it, it, there is. I have this kind of like naive idea about uh, when you know when uh, dealing with this uh, kind of separatist. Uh, moods that you think you might think that when you tell them the truth they will understand and they will change their mind but uh, this uh, propaganda and disinformation from Russia and the Soviet Union it is basically it, it is working in the direction of sowing mistrust and it is working in the direction of subversing and undermining any kind of statements there is no agenda for them they are just operate with what you provide and then they just twist it around so uh, uh trying to hide this uh, aggressive nature and uh, uh exploitative uh, behavior i mean it's for me it's it's still an open question whether arts or artistic practice can actually uh change somebody's mind on something have you ever experienced a piece of art that did change your mind or your opinion of something? I'm thinking when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking that this uh, piece of art has to be like super strong and uh, so um, so. Uh, what do you say? Uh, like breaking through. I mean, I can only, in my mind, I can only compare it to some of the Lars von Trier films, where this, um, this, uh, the 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 statements he make he makes are so uh, massive that you just cannot forget about that. You just you just starting to kind of uh, taking it into your life as an experience and operating with it. Uh, on on the emotional and uh, on uh, on the mindset level, I was thinking about your uh, like, about Antarctic and um, the way that as you're talking about you you just said something a bit ago about the Russian and the Soviet propaganda and the way you're talking about it, it's really existing in this continuum. And I think for people in Ukraine, this is really present 
this idea of a continuum, especially with the, the, the way the aggression is expressed and the way the desire for control or this imperial will. Um, and in Anthritsit, there is a character, right, who is uh, like a KGB agent in one case. And then uh, so he's somehow an antagonist in this current future mm-hmm. because they're mm-hmm. traveling in these different time periods. Basically, in the play, correct me if I'm wrong, Pasha, but the protagonist and this antagonist are time traveling between these key moments of Donbass history where right. these miners, these miners uh, protests and things are, are a recurring element. And so they, the backdrop is uh, this protest, but it's happening in these different time periods. Um, but there's this continuity in the desire for control. And I feel like this is something where it's a perfect example of a, a thing that's kind of a truth that if you, uh, you know, just try and write it down and say, look, the same people were doing this, like practicing this kind of control. It's not accurate, but in but it's a kind of truth that is evident, you know, that the, that these, this will has traveled through time. Um, and I was wondering if there's any track we could play from it that might, uh, I don't know, include this character or be on that theme? Yeah, there, there is this, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right about the KGB and more than that, I was specifically, when I was writing the play, the uh, this I, I, I don't remember at what point the idea of KGB came, but uh, uh, but uh, the um, the prototype for that, for that KGB for me is basically Putin because he, he's the one of the guys who emerged from that uh, environment and kind of uh, has taken control over everything else and still was trying to intervene into Ukrainian affairs and uh, into Ukrainian political and social life, doing that at the largest scale now. So um, I think this um, the song, which is called Tse um, Pravda, uh, this is truth. It's called This is Truth. So this is a duo between a, a KGB officer and the, the victim, the Komsomol girl who is actually working against uh, uh, the Soviet regime. Служити народу, демократ. 
Я знаю, це правда. Я вірю в цю правду. Я скину свій уряд в тюрму керівництво злочинців партійних себе посаджу. Дякую. Uh, but uh, by the confession, it means uh, that she's not going to say that she's uh, working against the Soviet regime, but she's uh, fighting for the workers and for the human rights. And, uh, and uh, the songs in general were developed kind of like an um, <clears throat> uh, anti-theme to the overall... Uh, Uh, a bit uh, depressive mood of uh, uh, oppression. And they were kind of like naive uh, statements of uh, how it could look if all these aggressors and the totalitarianism would just turn around and kind of like switch to the good side and become really the government that is taking care of the people and is trying to... Uh, defend the interests of the of the people of the uh, of the nation so and in this song this uh, KGB officer also in the end says that uh, he wants to put himself in jail and he wants to put in jail all the authorities and to bear the punishment they deserve for all everything they've done against the people <clears throat> wow um, and have, have you ever um, have you ever any had any trouble about writing and uh, creating to pieces about their story as it have you ever come into difficulty yourself difficulties yeah like as a creator like people not wanting you to tell this story or not liking it you mean from the audience yeah or authorities or oh uh, no 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 i mean uh, it's uh well i mean in ukraine you basically can say whatever you want Uh, I mean, now it's a bit different, of course, but uh, not meaning that you cannot say, but uh, there is like a strong gradation of the uh, priorities in the informational field, so to say. But in general, yeah, it was, uh, no, it was, um, I mean, there were some, I've had more of a, a artistic uh, critique, uh, but also I think now that... Uh, It could be the case because during the Soviet times, the censorship that was uh, conducted to the uh, artists who were trying to say something different from the uh, overall political state agenda 
this censorship worked also with the uh, with the artistic tools. Like they would have some directors or uh, film theater art critics who would receive the command to kind of uh, uh, attack the artist and his work, and they would try to find some kind of artistic uh, flaws or. Uh, uh, mistakes or uh, I don't know disadvantages that which would which they would point out to to kind of discredit the art piece the artwork itself and to kind of uh, put down the artist in the eyes of the audience overall so but I mean uh, in Ukraine yeah you can say whatever you want basically I mean there is like there is like taboo subjects in a way on the uh, on obscene uh, language or on uh, nudity or on uh, uh, LGBT, but uh, in general, the, like the, there will be no uh, directive from the authorities to uh, shut you down if you do that. Um, you also have some other sounds of any other sounds that you wanted to share. Yeah, we have this uh, the the explosion. <laughs> I think maybe maybe it makes sense to introduce it a, a little bit. This is a clip from uh, French TV. France two reporter uh, Agnès Varamian, and uh, she, with whom I worked in uh, Donbass in uh, April May uh, this year, and uh, we were in a couple of situations with uh, a lot of uh, danger. And this is a report from the crossroads on the way to Lysychansk, uh, and uh, which is close to Severodonetsk, the two cities very attacked now by the uh, uh, by the Russian forces, uh, but they still stand, which is um, amazing thing because when we were living in the uh, uh, first half, first half of May, it seemed like the Russians would take it very soon, but. Not yet, and uh, <clears throat> and this is a report from uh, part of the report from this uh, crossroads. Voici la route qui mène au village de Bilogorovska. On ne peut pas l'emprunter parce que la position ici au checkpoint et aussi toute la route est bombardée depuis ce matin. Hier, vers 4h30 de l'après-midi, un avion russe a largué une bombe sur l'école qui servait d'abri à 90 personnes. Alors des sauveteurs ont pu accéder au village hier après-midi. Ils ont sorti des décombres, une trentaine de blessés. Mais ils nous ont dit que selon eux, il resterait 60 personnes qui seraient donc mortes dans ce bombardement. Ils nous ont précisé aussi que les militaires ukrainiens avaient des positions tout près de cette école. Ce matin, d'autres sauveteurs ont essayé d'emprunter cette route, mais impossible. Vous entendez les bombardements, le village est sur la route de l'avancée russe. So for anyone who's not a French speaker, she's describing the situation and then at the end, uh, the in the distance there's a shell that hits and she says see here's this is the they're bombarding this still yeah 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 that uh, that shell came like um i would say i don't know maybe 100 meters 100 to 200 meters away it's uh it's very, very close and um <clears throat> yeah Pasha, with this kind of experience i i i can't help but think that um this traumatic experience that you went through in 2014 which it was how many how many months were you 
it was uh, two two and a half months, seventy days. Yeah. Um, but it it seems to me like that type of experience would either set you up to never want to see this stuff again, or maybe give you some kind of uh, strength to deal with this. And and I I keep thinking of you when I hear about like the, the proximity to this, this violence and how, I don't know, how, how someone might be able to prepare themselves for it or how someone might be able to deal with it on site. It, it, do you have that experience that this like has made you stronger or is it, uh, um, is it something that actually brings back, I don't know, PTSD or something like this? Well, it worked uh, in a way. Um, it was it. It's kind of um, uh, helpful for me because when it started uh, in 2014, uh, it was still uh, one of the many, but uh, still a unique experience. And uh, people, uh, regular people, did not know how. Did not have the. There was no common understanding about. Um, how to deal with the people who were uh, hostages, how to talk to them, what to talk about. And I also myself did not know what to say, how to say, how do people perceive it and so on. And now it, it has become easier for me to share it because uh, unfortunately now we have uh, much more cases of uh, different kind of atrocities and uh, <clears throat> violence and um, there is already a certain uh, uh, experience in, in, in society to uh, to accept that and to uh, to uh, pay attention to that. And uh, but uh, it in a way it also prepared me for this situation. And I can see a certain kind of um, sequence actually because, for instance, people who participated in Orange Revolution in 2004, were more active at Maidan in 2013, and uh, could go to uh, Donbass in 2014 to fight. And the people who would uh, participate, start the civic participation in 2013-14 uh, at Maidan would now be ready for these events of 2022 and already be knowing what they want to do, where they want to go. But for me, of course, it was, I was thinking how to um, deal in this situation. And uh, I don't think I am uh, ready for a direct contact, you know, the <clears throat> fight itself. But um, I don't know. That's at the present moment. And uh, yeah, but in a way, it's uh, something that is um, it's kind of now my, my, my kind of situation is my experience is has has uh, uh, has been uh, I can see it in a certain pattern of the activities of the aggression which is happening uh, from Russia here. I think we've talked about this before, but if I'm if I understand it right, you avoid this personal experience in your creative work, right? Or it's there, but it's not. You don't explicitly make work about these. Uh, like these really like impressive emotional moments. I do. I do have a performance I made in 2018, and there is a text about this uh, Slavyansk experience. Uh, uh, but I only 
performed it twice uh, at the festival in Szczecin, Poland. And, uh, uh, but besides that, yeah, there is no, not, not, I mean, I would love to share it uh, some more and, uh, yeah, besides that, there is no other uh, direct connection, but I could track that in the things and pieces that I was doing afterwards, there was certain scenes or uh, motives which were coming from that experience. Can you talk a little bit more about Is there anything like that in Anthracite? Uh, in Anthracite, I think it's also um, how, like, there is... Uh, the the i think like the uh, the protagonist's um, desire to learn learn about the conditions of existence in a wider on a wider scale learn not only the official propaganda but uh, or media but uh, uh, overall experience of different uh, people this is something that comes from there in, in one performance on corruption i've had the scene of uh, um, cops, uh, corrupted cops, uh, beating up uh, a person, and that it was like a violent scene with uh, blood and so on. And uh, I felt that it's something that is uh, was reflecting on my experience of uh, when uh, I was taken a hostage in the in the first hour they beat me up uh, in the garage of the occupied building, and I. Th- I would then afterwards reflect on that uh, scene in, in the performance as something to kind of reveal this uh, uh, this situation. I feel like for a lot of artists in Ukraine now, there's going to be a lot of these moments that end up being translated for years into their work. And I think already there was. There's, of course, several prominent artists who have dealt specifically with the war. Um, but I do think there was also this moment in the more recent years, like there was this uh, rep generation of artists who I think, uh, as you said, coming out of the Orange Revolution were more sort of engaged and- Yeah, exactly. That's, 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 that's the case about them, yes. With the way that artists are uh, digesting the situation or, or have previously, if we look at this kind of pattern of, uh, more engagement and then following the Maidan revolution and then this, there was kind of this pause in directly engaging the war as a topic. And that seems to be something that's returning now. Um, yeah, but is, yeah. I guess my question is for you, how heavily has this featured in your work? How important has it been to always include this uh, kind of reference to Donbass, or Donbass is the space of um, a space of the current ongo- ongoing war. Uh, well, for me, of course, Donbass is many things, uh, starting from my childhood. I, but I think, um, I mean, at the moment, my I, idea about that it's either you do talk about this subject for um, foreign audiences and. Uh, uh, in a way, trying to immerse people into that experience, um, or you're doing something purely entertaining for people who are under uh, under stress. And for instance, there was a theater puppet director from uh, puppet theater director from uh, Kharkiv 
who evacuated uh, uh, in the beginning and then came back to uh, produce performances for the kids who were sheltering in the subway, in the underground, um, which I find a very um, strong uh, move. And uh, yeah, so, but uh, still in, in Kiev, there is, I mean, I think there was, or there will be some kind of like a music concert, something, because people also use this as um, events to raise money for support of the military or uh, civil population in the, uh, uh, across the, uh, along the front line or close to the front line or in the deoccupied territories. Uh, and, um, Mm, yeah, I mean, I don't know, it's difficult. And the third thing is, uh, of course, the <laughs> cancel of the Russian culture, because for me, uh, like my last understanding of this is that the Russia is the fascist terrorist army concentration camp, which pretends to be a country and everything, any kind of uh, social activity or cultural activity there is the part of the larger disinformation with which they confuse people around the world uh, and uh, uh, creating an image of a regular country, which I think is not true. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, for, for me, like the, the best uh, protest the Russian artist uh, can do against uh, the regime of their country is to stop producing Russian art. Uh, because this is something that is uh, uh, is uh, uh, refocusing the attention from the uh, fight that is going on. But I wanted to ask again about um, because the the work that you've made has usually been focused in Donbas, right? And you yourself are from Donbas. Um, but I feel like you're also a person who, to me, expresses the nuance of what Donbass can be and it and it pushes back on this um kind of Russian myth that Donbass is this Russian speaking population that needs to be united with Russia or whatever. Um, so I'm curious about your like about growing up there before the war, before any of this stuff was uh um part of your life. Uh did you grow up speaking Russian or Ukrainian or what, what yeah is... yeah I uh... I was speaking Russian all my life, and uh, I was uh, heavily, um, I was like a huge fan of uh, Russian culture because it was uh, taught in schools and was very present in uh, uh, the media and the cinemas and on TV. Um, uh, I've switched to Ukrainian in 2015 and I've spoken Ukrainian until 2019. Then it kind of like, uh, uh, I still felt this, uh, you know, attachment with this, uh, with the native language. And um, <clears throat> now I speak both Ukrainian and Russian, depending on whatever situation. Uh, a lot more people switch to Ukrainian now, of course, and in Kyiv also. I mean, there was a big switch in uh, 2014, but now it's larger. The language somehow seems to be a... Uh, that part of identity and also part of it was in a way part of uh, protection for me to deal with the experience which was uh, 
which I received, so to say, in the Russian language. Um, yeah, and, uh, and it's very difficult in a way because, um, because uh, like, I'm not, I cannot, I know that this uh, Russian culture is in a way fake, uh, but I don't have any strong, I mean, I appreciate world culture and Ukrainian culture, but it is, it is, uh, no, there is a strong feeling to it. It's just that I have to kind of uh, accept it maybe uh, more on the conscious level and just, but there is this issue of, you know, the same as switching from Russian language to Ukrainian language, switching from Russian culture to the world and the Ukrainian culture. And uh, uh, the, 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 it's not, this transition is not uh, very easy and uh, not something that you can do in one day or uh, in one month. <clears throat> I just asked what you meant by Russian art being fake. If you could expand on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, um, I mean that they, uh, in a way, they, they do address uh, some kind of human values, uh, but at the same time, uh, they are still operating in this uh, in the paradigm of uh, the, in my opinion, concentration camp, where they totally agree that there is one uh, dictator and he decides, it's mainly he, maybe besides Catherine the Great, but um, <clears throat> it's this person who decides your own fate and the fate of all your society. And it's this person's will is, uh, it, which, is, uh, which is defining <clears throat> the reality of this uh, country. So, uh, and this culture in a way does not step out of this paradigm and does not question this kind of uh, uh, setting in general, whether it's, uh, is, could there be life outside of this setting? Thank you. I think we've come to the end, but maybe we can um, choose something, one of the last things to play um, as we leave. And also to say thank you so much, Pasha, for joining us and for sharing um, your practice and your life and your stories. Yeah, I would like also to thank and say that uh, this music for the performance was composed by the uh, great <laughs> Ukrainian artist. I mean, very good Ukrainian artist, Margarita Kulichova, Alexander Ivanchesko, and Andriy Ganin, um, who did the recordings and they, who were also uh, playing during the performance, during the premiere in Kiev. There is a there is a track which we with which uh, we kind of uh, it's a lively track uh, with which we kind of um, were finishing the show. I would I would love to share, of course, all of that. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it's, it's something to be done later, probably. But uh, yeah, we can play this um, zarplate. Also, um, before we put that on, we can share the link to the video, I guess, in the um, when we post the show. It will yeah, is it, the yeah. video is public online, right? Yes, yes, yes. You can watch it.
And is there anything else that if people are interested in what you're doing or, uh, for example, want to donate to some initiative, is there anything else you want us to uh, talk about right now or just just mention so that people can? Yeah, I would probably send you the links of the funds which uh, people could uh, send the money to who uh, take care of the humanitarian aid and or for, um, like for the humanitarian supplies for the army, like uh, uh, life vests and uh, helmets and uh, uh, this kind of equipment. Great, we can, we can put that up. Um, yeah, so thank you again, Pasha. And thank you. And now play um, your Zar Plati mm-hmm. from Antrasis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you. This is sounds from Ukraine now. Звук из Украины зараз. 